Well, good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Amen. 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 Rejoice and be glad. It's a blessing to see you all here today. It's, uh, well, it's always a blessing to see everyone here. Yeah, you see, each and every one of you has been a great blessing to me. It's, mm. always, it's always a blessing to come up here and, and read God's Word as well. Mm. So, from speaking of God's Word today, again, we're con- going to continue our study of the book of Revelation, and Lord willing, you all will finish it. And I'm going to keep a watch on the website for the sermon so I can keep up with it, too. <laughs> really been enjoying the series. Today we're going to uh, be in chapter 18. We're going to read the first 19 verses, so when you find Genesis chapter 18, would you please stand for reading God's Word? Alright, Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seeds of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. And he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why does Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I shall return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you today for blessing us, blessing us with uh, these times together, blessing us with your word, and for the opportunities to study together, consider these things together. Lord, thank you so much for the inheritance that we look forward to as children of yours. And Father, we pray that you enable us to be focused, more focused on eternity than we are on the 
temporal things of this world so that we may live our lives not making much of self, but making much of you so that we may be able to say, like Paul, we don't count our own lives dear to ourselves, so that we may run our course with endurance. Lord, and through it all, that you may be honored and glorified as being most valuable to us because truly you are to be most valued. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Amen. <clears throat> Just thinking I preached a uh, funeral Friday <clears throat> that was more joyful than this crowd. <laughs> Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, it is. It, it, of course, you know, everybody's sad to see the Bennetts go. We hate to see them go. And uh, we direct a, a roadblock, but there's, they'll be flying, so they'll go over that anyway. <laughs> and uh, it's over the ocean. Uh, so, uh, uh, we're, yeah, we're definitely... Heart broke to see him go, and at the same time rejoicing that uh, just God is do, doing something um, different, and, and uh, we'll be blessed as they uh, continue to focus on Him. They'll they'll continue to be blessed and uh, and live His will, know His presence and His blessings. So we rejoice in that, you know, just as we always want to do anytime God does anything, right? So. Uh, we're, we're, we're happy about uh, what the Lord does, even though that's one of the hard things in living this life. You know, it's like we were talking about in Sunday school this morning. That's why we, why we long, that's part of the reason, we long so much for that day uh, when the Lord returns, when we're received into uh, His presence forever and ever and ever. Because um, these kinds of, of uh, sad uh, events are, are no more. Uh, I mean, most importantly, we'll, we'll be in His presence forever, never to be separated, never ever for a moment to be separated by sin and its effects. And, of course, uh, a byproduct of that is enjoying fellowship with one another. And I think, folks, um, that we've known here, um, like you and I, and even folks that we didn't know here, uh, those who lived uh, and died before us. Uh, I think we'll have the privilege of knowing in glory. And what a great time that'll be. I mean, here we're talking about Abraham. We, we see what the Scripture has uh, given us to know about Abraham. There we'll be able to actually know Abraham, not just know, him, know about him, but know him. <laughs> we'll know the Apostle Paul and Peter and so forth. So... What, what an awesome thing. And uh, again, most of all, to be in the Lord's presence. Great time to look forward to. So, um, the Bennetts get a foretaste of paradise uh, in Hawaii. But uh, just like the rest of us, they got to wait for the real thing uh, at the last day, right? All right. Um, this morning, looking at the passage that Joel just read, and I just want to 
um, make a, uh, a couple of points here that I think stand out in the text. And, and uh, well, first let me say this, just in terms of context, just, just a reminder. Uh, this is coming right on the heels of, of um, the giving of the sign of circumcision in chapter 17. And what has been occurring with Abraham is, of course, God calls Abraham out of his homeland, Ur of the Chaldees, uh, which is today modern-day Iraq. Uh, so, Ab- so God calls Abram out of, out of that land, and the significance is not just moving geographically, but it was a pagan land for one thing. So God is calling Abram out of a pagan land and out of paganism because he and his fathers were idolaters. And the significance is also this, that as the writer of Hebrews tells us, that he was calling him to a place that he didn't know. I mean, he didn't know where he was going. So um, there's great emphasis there on trust. Abram trusted God enough to pack up and leave everything that was familiar to him and uh, uh, even leave family and so forth and travel to a land um, that he didn't, he didn't know anything about. He didn't know anything except that God was saying, go here. Um, so uh, this is what we're seeing in the life of Abram. Abram now, Abram now, called Abraham. This, and I want to say consistent, and you might think, well, I, don't, I haven't seen consistent trust. But when you look at the big picture, that's, that's really what we've seen. Abram, or Abraham continues to follow the Lord. Yes, he has these times, and we, we've seen the reports of, of uh, you know, like lying to protect himself, calling Sarah his sister rather than his wife, um, or trying to bring about the promise of seed, um, offspring, in, in ways that uh, um, manifested a, a lack of reliance upon God. So he had these moments, of course. He was a sinner. He's a human being um, and, and a sinner. But, uh, but the overall picture is a life of someone who trusted God. And we see that again here today. So that's the context. God has called Abram and made promises to him and we've seen um, a lot of time go by, like we talked about last week, so that Abraham and Sarah wonder how these promises are going to come about because the promise involves children and uh, specifically one child. And Abram, Abraham and Sarah are old, as we see here in the text today. And so they don't understand how these promises of God are going to come about. And God has been, again and again, reiterating the promises. Just letting, letting them know. And, and that's, that's a good reason right there to read the Bible, isn't it? Because we need to be reminded, and this is how and where you know, we're reminded in the pages of Scripture. And God reiterates over and over and over. If we read again and again and again, the blessed promises of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the eternity that uh, lies ahead of us, um, it is good for us to be reminded because our focus is so easily diverted to uh, earthly things and temporal things. Um, so we, we need that eternal perspective. 
And God keeps coming to them and He keeps speaking to them and He keeps reminding them, I'm giving you an inheritance. I'm giving you offspring. And I'm going to make you great. And all these things that seem to be impossible, He keeps promising, will come to pass. So, I'm, I, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm just going to uh, have a couple of main points here and they're kind of summed up here in this sentence. God is all-powerful and therefore able to work, in, to work in impossible circumstances and imperfect people to fulfill His Word. God is all-powerful and therefore able to work in impossible circumstances and imperfect people to fulfill His Word. I guess if you want to be technical, you might say, well, that's three points. Number one, God is all-powerful. We do want to consider that. God is all-powerful. And then what flows from that, the other two points, God is therefore able or mighty or powerful to work in impossible circumstances, or at least we could say otherwise impossible circumstances, right? I mean, I try to keep the sentence brief, but let's be clear, the circumstances are not impossible for God, but they certainly, from our perspective, seem impossible. And, and that's logical because they are impossible apart from the power of God. But because God is all-powerful, because He is Almighty, like we talked about last week, El Shaddai, God Almighty, He is able to work out His will and fulfill His purposes. Specifically, keeping His promises. He's able to do that in impossible circumstances, what would otherwise be impossible circumstances. And He's able to work because He's all-powerful, because He's almighty, El Shaddai, God Almighty, He is able to work and bring about the fulfillment of His will, keep His Word. He's able to do all that in imperfect people. And I'm being kind of nice there because the reality is (laughs) He does that in sinners. He's able to work in spite of us, is the way I like to say it often. He's able to work in spite of us. Not because of us, but in spite of us. And anybody who tries to get something done that involves other people knows that it's helpful if everybody will cooperate. And uh, some, some people kind of... Um, take that view of God when it comes to getting things done. But the truth is, He he is able to work, in fact does work, in spite of us. And uh, one of the ways that He does that, of course, is by producing cooperation within us. So God is all-powerful, and this is one of the ways that, that, uh, or two ways, I guess, that God manifests His power is through working in impossible circumstances and imperfect people or sinners. In other words, sinners. And let's just put a little bit more emphasis on the Lord here because this is who 
Abraham is encountering. Look at verse 1. And what is being described here is an encounter with Yahweh. Remember, Yahweh is um, the Hebrew term for the one true living God. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. God who we've already seen in Genesis created all of reality. Brought the whole universe into being by His power without any help (laughs) because there was no other. There was no help. So through His own self-determination, His own divine counsel with Himself, we talked a little bit about some of that in Sunday school this morning because of uh, uh, an issue David raised. We see evidence of that back in Genesis 1, right? God said, let us create man in our image and after our likeness. you got the plural pl- pronouns there, but it's, but it's not referencing anybody outside of God. And I think it, it is a, uh, it's a divine discourse among the Trinity. The eternal, one true living God who exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Not, not as temporal manifestations, but as eternal being, as eternal subsistences. One true God manifest eternally, or really existing eternally, in three persons. This is Yahweh, the Lord, creator of all, sustainer of all. If He stopped working for one second, less than a second, <laughs> and, and by the way, with, all, with modern technology, it's easier to conceive of that, isn't it? Less than a second. You watch the Olympics and... and uh, I learned this time around that they have those clocks where they will record um, like finishing a race down to the 100th of a second. And there was actually one race where Michael Phelps and two other guys came in second. They tied for second. Now, this is when they're recording the finishes down to a hundredth of a second. They hit within that perimeter, you know, three guys within one hundredth of a second. That's amazing to me. Um, but it's also interesting that the, the technology the, the Olympics is using could not break it down further than that and say, well, it was actually two, three, and four. No, they had to call it a tie, even measuring to the one hundredth of a second. If God stopped working for one hundredth of a second or one thousandth of a second or whatever, I suppose you and I would evaporate. Because He holds all things together. This is who Yahweh is. The one true living God who created everything. There wasn't anything made that was made apart from Him making it. There's not anything that is apart from Him. 
Everything that came into being was brought into being by Him. He is Almighty. And He sustains all things. He keeps everything in existence. I have a lot of things existing around my house. And uh, Leslie and Jordan can tell you that I have a hard time keeping up with them. I mean, car keys, you know, tools, shoes. Of course, sometimes I think she's hiding things from me, but uh, <laughs> that doesn't make it easier. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but really, I think you could probably put me on a uh, on an, a deserted island and and uh, with stuff, and I would lose it. And, you know, I wouldn't be able to keep up with it. And God keeps up with everything, and I don't just mean knowing where it is. And by the way, I've been doing warehousing for over 30 years, so the fact that I can't keep up with things is not a good testimony. But, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> God, it, when, we, when we say that about God, it doesn't just mean that He knows where it is. And He says, oh, I, I, need, I need such and such. Oh, yeah, that's here. No, it means that He keeps it being. He keeps it in existence. If He didn't, it would just, poof, be gone. And that's true of you and I as well. And I mean in the most imminent, the most intimate way. So that if He didn't keep our lungs pumping in and out, we would die. If He didn't keep our heart pumping, we would die. Now, I know I spent a little time on that, but I just want to emphasize God is almighty. This is the Lord, Yahweh, with whom we have to do. So verse 1 says, The Lord, Yahweh, appeared to him. That's important because in other places through here, it's not so, it's not so evident, uh, or it's not explicitly stated. I think it is evident, but it's not explicitly stated. So, for example... Joel read from the ESV earlier, which I'm also reading. And verse 10 says, The Lord said. I think that's correct, although that's, that's not a, uh, a literal translation because the Hebrew there is, He said. And the reason the, the, the ESV does that is for clarification. Um, but literally, it just says, He said. Well, who said? Well, uh, I think they're right in, in suggesting the Lord said because of, for one thing, because of verse 1. Uh, in other words, the focus here is on Yahweh. He's the one speaking to Abraham. And, and that is explicitly stated in verse 1 and then again in verse uh, 17. The Lord, that's the term Yahweh. The Lord said. So God is speaking to Abraham. And what is He doing here? What is He saying? Well, he's, he's assuring them once again that he is powerful, mighty to work in impossible circumstances. That, that's what verse 11 in particular is describing. Uh, look, let's just pick up in verse 9. They said to him, that is to the Lord, they said to the Lord, or I'm sorry, the men said to, to Abraham, where is Sarah your wife? Now, Three men appear to Abraham in this little uh, in this little narrative, and 
as you move along reading the passage, you come to understand that two of them are angels that will continue on to Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah on behalf of the Lord. In other words, by the power of God, they will go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and deliver Lot and his daughters, uh, his family. And, and Lord willing, we'll come to that. That's uh, an amazing display of grace in itself. So these three men, at least they appear to be men, and they come to Abraham, two of them angels, one of them is Yahweh, the Lord. Isn't that fascinating? In a pre-incarnate state, in other words, um, I think it's fair to say this is, this is Jesus coming, speaking to Abraham in a pre-incarnate state. In other words, even though he appears as a man here, he is not a man. But when you get to the New Testament, he becomes a man. There, and let's be clear, here we're talking about an appearance. He appears as a man. Yahweh appears as a man. When you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's not an appearance. It is incarnation. That is, He takes on humanity. He becomes flesh. The Word, the eternal Word of God, becomes flesh, John says, and dwelt among us. Or Paul says in Philippians 2, he took on the form of a servant, right? Meaning, he's taking on humanity. But nevertheless, this is the Lord. And he's coming once again to reiterate the promises, to, to sure up Abraham and Sarah. And um, as people do, you know, a lot of times you get unexpected guests. Abram, Abraham's kind of rushing around trying to get things ready. But I, I, I think there's an, another interesting point here about that, and that is it seems to me that Abraham either recognizes that this is the Lord somehow, or he at least, we can at least say he, he recognizes that this is somebody very, very important. And he really rolls out the red carpet, has a feast prepared, and so forth. And, and, and I don't, it seems to me that he understands, once again, this is the Lord appearing to speak to him. And I think it's another evidence of Abraham's trust. You know, and I contrast this with the disciples in the storm, on the sea, and Jesus comes... And they don't recognize Him. And they're already in terror, and they see Jesus, and they say, Look, it's a, it's a spirit! It's a ghost! And they're more terrified. Instead of the kind of reception that Abraham is giving here. And like the song we, say, we sang earlier, Abram, Abraham says, Do not pass by your servant. Isn't that good? And that's why I say he seems to understand at least that it's somebody significant and probably uh, understands that it is Lord. And a matter of fact, I, I say probably, but there's, there's good evidence of that here. In, uh, 
in verse 3, Abraham says, O Lord. Now, he does not use the term Yahweh there. In fact, if you look at verse 1, just to indicate that that is Yahweh, the the modern editors put all capitals, L-O-R-D. That's to let you know this is the Hebrew term Yahweh, the proper name of God. Other terms, like Adonai in chapter 3, you see the lower K. Capital L, but lowercase O-R-D. This is the term Adonai, but it is still a term reserved for God. It's just not like proper name, like your proper name is uh, whatever it is, Bill or George or Sam or Sue or whatever, you know. Um, Yahweh is more like the proper name. It's the one that he gave to Moses and said, um, Moses said, Who do I tell them sent me? And he said, Tell them I am, Yahweh. But Adonai still is a term reserved for God. And, and uh, Abraham uses it there. O oh Lord, I have, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. And so the three men stop. Abraham wants to fix something for them. And they tell him to go ahead. And then, and, uh, to get back to verse 9, they ask where Sarah is. And Abram, Abraham says, she is in the tent. Verse 10, he said, that is the Lord probably referring to the Lord, Yahweh, certainly referring to one of the three men. He said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, notice here that he's giving more specifics than he has in the past. He's reiterating the promise, and this time he's making it crystal clear, which they they should have understood this before, But he's making it crystal clear. Yes, you're going to have a son by your wife, Sarah. It's not going to be a surrogate. It's not going to be a servant. And he even gives them a time this time. This time next year, I will surely return to you. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. Here's, the, here's the, the description of the impossible circumstance. Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And by the way, that term, Lord, when she's referring to Abraham, my Lord is old. That's a different term, uh, different um, uh, form of the word Adonai, but this one is, is used like our word sir or something like that. And so she uses it referring to Abraham. My Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Well, we know the answer to that, don't we? And the Lord knows the answer to that. And Abraham knew the answer to that. And Sarah knew the answer to that. She laughed because it seemed impossible. At least, I would say that's more than likely the reason she laughed. Maybe there's some joy mixed in there. If she's thinking, 
uh, you know, that this would happen. It just makes me laugh. It it's brings joy. But I think probably she's just thinking, this is impossible because of the way the Lord responds. So the Lord says, why did she laugh? Why did she say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? And then verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now there's, there's a question for us. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, certainly what the, the author has just described sounds like an impossible situation, doesn't it? But, of course, the answer to this rhetorical question is no. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Not even the deadness of Sarah's womb, their age, nothing is too hard for the Lord. Sarah denies that she laughed. This is just an interesting exchange, I think. Um, Verse 15, Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said... Again, that is, the Lord said, No, but you did laugh. The Lord knows our thoughts, doesn't He? So, God is able to work and keep His Word in impossible circumstances. And the next point is this. God is able to work and keep His Word in imperfect people. And by the way, just like a lot of times when we're trying to break things down, we've got this overlap and overflow. This is one of the impossible circumstances, you could say, that we are sinners. And so you would think, well, how can God use sinners? And again, the answer comes back to His power. Because He is able, I mean, because it does not depend on our ability, our usefulness, or something like that. It is because He is able. Listen to what He says. Verse 19. For I have chosen Him. He's referring to Abraham. For I have chosen Him. That's important. Abraham did not initiate This whole thing. God did. And it wasn't Abraham's vision. Abraham's purpose. It's God's purpose. The promise. The promise of inheritance. The promise of offspring. The promise of blessing to all nations through the seed of Abraham. None of that was concocted by Abraham. And Abraham's not responsible to bring it to pass. He's just responsible to obey. And so the Lord says, I have chosen him that he may command his children. Listen, listen to what the Lord says here. In particular, um, those among us who are fathers. Listen to what the Lord says about his purpose for Abraham. I have chosen him that he, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. This is my purpose for Abraham. I mean, a lot of times we want to think in grandiose terms, right? And he did say he's going to make Abraham famous, which he did do. 
But if we wrote the story, I don't know, we would probably have God uh, imparting some superpower to Abraham. <laughs> that is the kind of stories that men write, right? Make him some kind of superman. And of course, God will do miracles through people. There are instances of that right down through Scripture, right? Actually, I wouldn't say it is so much God imparting ability, uh, but it is God manifesting His own ability through human vessels. That's a little different from being a Superman or a Spider-Man or something like that. Batman. But here... We can see the, the 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 bedrock foundation of it, you know, the fundamentals of it. I guess you could say, is just going to be having children and teaching them and ordering the household. Now, how's he going to do that? Here, here's what he says: I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. So Abraham's going to direct his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord. Sounds easy enough. So God could just give him a list and and then Abraham could just make sure everybody's got the list and, and, and kind of like ride oversight over everybody and make sure everybody keeps the list. But here's how the Lord says it's going to happen. He's going to command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So Abraham himself, this is how God plays out his plan. Abraham himself is going to have to do righteousness and justice. And that is how he is going to set a path and point his children and his family to a path, which is the path of the Lord. He's going to command them to keep the way of the Lord, and the way that he's going to do that is by keeping it himself. By doing right, just to put it simply, by living righteousness, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. So Abraham's got to do all this so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. So it's conditioned on that. But to say that it's conditioned on that is not to say that it that it somehow might not happen. I mean, if there's one thing we ought to know from reading the Bible is that God brings about His will. So He says, here's what Abraham has to do in order for me to do this. <clears throat> what He doesn't say here although it's clear in the pages of Scripture, is that the way for Abraham or you or I or anybody to do anything right, righteous, good, 
is for the Lord to work it in us. It's like Paul says to the Philippians, Philippians 2.13, 12 and 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's saying, live it out. Kind of like here. Live it out, Abraham. This is, I chose you and this is what I'm giving you to do. Live out righteousness. And you say, man, that's a tall order. I can't, I can't do that. And Paul says, I know. On your own, in and of yourself, you can't. But I'm commanding you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, it's a very command of God. I'm commanding you to live out this salvation. Work it out in your life. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not because you are able, but because God works in you to will and to do. What Paul is making clear there is that it is God who works in us the very desire to do right, and it is God who enables us to do right. So, with the promise of God comes the power of God. With the command of God, Abraham, leave Ur of the Chaldees, go to this land that I show you. Abraham, command your children and your household by doing righteousness and justice. With the command of God comes the power of God to do the command. So that Jesus can stand at a graveside and say, Lazarus, come out of there! And Lazarus can do the impossible, (laughs) which is get up and come out of the tomb, because with the command came the power. You know what? If the power was in us, I mean, if it was inherent, if it just resided in us, and God could just command and say, do this, live righteousness. And we said, okay. And we did it. Then the glory would be ours as well. But we don't have the power. But God does. But God does. Now, I'm saying that because in this passage you could say, oh, oh no, He put a condition on it. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what He has promised him. Now there's a chance that it's not going to come to pass. God's promise will not be fulfilled. Well, yes, He put a condition on it. But no, it's not possible that it will not come to pass. Because God has not only promised Abraham, God has empowered Abraham. And the very righteous living that He is commanding Abraham to do, He is empowering Abraham to do. 
And it is the same for you and I. And that is why Paul can say to the Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. The promise and the power of God. Listen, there's nothing too hard for God. Not only, in fact, let me just say it this way, because I I think it is, we look at circumstances and we think, oh, that's impossible. And a lot of times not realizing that it is even more impossible, if that makes sense, that we should be used by God. And I don't mean this in any, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated when I, when I, that God spoke through a donkey, Balaam's donkey. But isn't it more fascinating that God could speak through a man? I mean, the donkey was not a rebel. The donkey was not a sinner. The, the donkey didn't shake his hoof at God. <laughs> but that's what we do. So, I mean, we're just amazed. We, wow, God spoke through a donkey, which is amazing. But I'm not, like I say, I don't mean to take anything away from that. But we ought to be more amazed that He would do something with us. Speak through us, use us, accomplish His will by means of us, whatever it is. So let me say it this way. Not only does God work in impossible circumstances, God works in and through sinners. And so the assurance that you and I have regarding the promises of God do not rest upon our ability. They rest upon His ability. They rest upon His ability. It is God who works in us. Now, I'm out of time, but let, so let me just put this as a statement and, and not go through it. Take it and make application, okay? I, recently, I, I try to be quick here, but recently I heard John Piper ask this question, is, and, I, and I just, it resonated with me. The question was, is there anything that makes, ever makes you doubt the existence of God? And his answer was, my own painfully slow sanctification. And that's the application I want to leave us with, brothers and sisters, because you may or may not, you know, looking at circumstances outside of you, we do often get discouraged, but you may or may not get discouraged with circumstances outside of you. But circumstances inside of us can be extremely discouraging. And we think, I know the promises, I know I know all about being conformed to the image of Christ, living from faith to faith, glory to glory. I, I know all about that. Where's the fulfillment? So, so just hear this. It will never come to pass because of you or because of me. But be encouraged. It is God, Yahweh, 
the I Am, the Creator and Sustainer of all things, who is at work in us. And He has the power to fulfill His Word, even in you and me. Would you stand, please? Father, we thank You again for this time together today. And As we leave this place uh, this afternoon, we pray, Lord, please enable us to even keep these things on our minds so that we rest in You, trust in Your power, understanding that You love us and that You are constantly at work and relying, not upon ourselves, but relying upon You. Throughout the day, Lord, of course, we want this to be every day, but may, may You be honored in and through us. Again, by Your power, according to Your purpose and will. Let it be so, in Jesus' name. Amen.